Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, I feel like more than ever we need this passage, and I believe it is your providence that brought us to this passage as we are teaching through Colossians at this time. We desperately need to set our minds on the things that are above. Christ reigns above and here and all around. And we need to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. It is the mark of every Christian. And yet it is such a struggle for us in our day-to-day lives. I pray, God, that you would give us help this morning. That you would convict us of sin. That you would comfort us with your compassion And you would equip us through the power of the Spirit and encourage our hearts and build us up so that we may be salt and light in a world that is desperate for it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know that in this passage here and so far in this book that Paul has been building their identity, the, the, this church, the Colossians here, he is, he's building their identity and their encouragement all around Christ. And we've talked about how every week is the Sunday school answer, that it is Christ, it is Christ. And so he talks to them about what, what justifies you, what reconciles you, what authority is he, and, and the answer is just Christ. He is above all things, he is for all things, he is in him, um, through him all things were created and came into being. And then he reconciles us by nailing our sins to the cross. We die with him, we are raised to life with him, our life is now hidden with him. And he's saying because of that, he says don't let anybody judge you or discourage you apart from the gospel that you your identity is in Christ like that is how you are declared righteous not by your obedience to any man-made laws or rules and so he goes on further he says if then you have been raised with Christ if that's the case if you if you have been crucified with Christ and you've been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and so he makes this argument that we are to, if, if you really do truly belong to Christ, then fix your eyes on him. Set your mind on things of him, not on things of the earth. Because you've died to those things. Now this obviously doesn't mean a geographical above. We're not, this isn't Paul saying that heaven, you know, heaven is here and earth is here. We talk about above in a, in a, in a different way. It's more of a you know, symbolic way. We're talking about where Christ reigns. We're talking about his kingdom. And Paul is making the argument here that if we belong to Christ, if you have died with Christ and been risen with Christ, then your eyes should be fixed where he is. And if your eyes are fixed where he is, then your eyes will be fixed on the kingdom of God, not on the things of earth. 
Your allegiance is determined by that. Your allegiance will be to Christ and his kingdom. And everything else in your life will be formed around that. So seeking and setting your mind on things above means that this is the natural state of your mind. That you're saying, that is my, that's my default position, is I'm considering Christ and his kingdom. That I'm living oriented to that reality, not to this reality around me. And to the person outside of the faith, that sounds ridiculous. And we need to be aware of that. So I have a, I have a good friend who is a, an adamant atheist. He's told me before, essentially, that he, he basically finds all Christians disgusting, except for me. Which, I don't know, take that. Maybe that's a knock against me. I don't know. I think it's just more that I'm the only one that he's really ever taken the time to get to know. I think that's more likely. We tend to, we, we tend to um, like the people we know and understand that we, we like to label other people and put them into some kind of a box. And we were talking about faith. And this was years ago we were talking about this. This has nothing to do with anybody that is involved in any election right now. But years ago we were talking about faith and he said that he didn't like a particular politician because uh, he said that his faith would guide him, that he, that he couldn't separate his public decisions from his faith. And he said, look, I don't care if he has faith. That's fine if he has faith. But it shouldn't influence his policy decisions. Now, we can all sit here and say, well, that's ridiculous. Like, if you belong to Christ, you know there is no way that you can look at anything and not have that play into it. That, that's, that's who we are. Our identity is Christ. But I would argue that that is functionally how many of us live. In our day-to-day lives, many of us who call ourselves Christians say that we declare Jesus as king and that the kingdom is where we belong, but we function in our day-to-day lives like this is all there is. And so we set aside time for spiritual activities, but, but most of the time, we are thinking about things of the earth. And we don't think that's true. We think that we live like Jesus is our king. We would declare that. So how can you know? Well, one of the things that I always liked growing up was I, I, really, I always liked a good um, like crime movie or like a heist movie, like anything like that. And um, or a conspiracy movie. I always thought those were really fun. And so in the, all those conspiracy movies, or they're trying to solve a crime, they talk about, like, well, there's one thing that if you want to know where all this goes, they tell you to follow something. Anybody know what they t- tell you to follow? In, 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 the, in the crime. Like, if you want to know who committed this and where does this whole thing lead, they always talk about follow the money. That's always the thing. Like the criminal thinks that they're just like, well, follow the money. Wherever the money leads, that's, that's where it goes. Jesus also says something similar. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So part of what he is saying is, do you want to know where your heart is, is aligned? Do you know, want to know where your allegiance is? Do you want to know what you really love? you want to dig into that? Follow the treasure. Follow where that goes. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And not just money, by the way, but that is part of it. We would say like money, time, and energy. Those, those valuable, limited resources. And so if you consider that, like, okay, where, where does my money go? Where does my time go? If I have a spare moment, where does it go? If I have something to think about, when I don't have anything else to think about, what do I think about? 
When I have a spare dollar, where does it go? When I get a raise or when I come into some money or have a good financial year, what, what happens with it? When I struggle financially, what are the things that I guard and protect and say, nope, I have to protect these? The trail there doesn't lie. Where we spend those most valuable resources, where we consider our first thoughts of where those should go and what we would want to do with those things will tell us what we value and where our allegiance is. See, if your allegiance is to Christ, then your whole life becomes reoriented around the kingdom. And so Paul says, so seek those things. If your life is hidden in him, then your life will be with him in the kingdom of God. So what does that actually mean? If I, if I follow that trail and I don't like where it leads, and I can tell you so often in my life, I remember the first time one of my pastors said that to me, and I followed the trail and I did not like where it led. So what do we do? Well, if we're going to fix our eyes and set our minds on things above, the very first thing that we are setting our minds of is what he says, on Christ. We are to set our eyes on the king. And Paul tells us why we do that and the, the effects of doing that. We, we do that as a worship, that we just are fixing our eyes on Christ, on Jesus. But there's a very real reason, there's a tangible reason why we do that. And you know that this is one of my favorite verses, but in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so it's this simple idea that as I behold Christ, as I behold the glory of the Lord, that I am then being transformed into the same image. It's an active, ongoing beholding. It's not a once-a-week deal. This isn't just reading a spiritual textbook and then drawing our own conclusions. This is incredibly important. What you spend your time beholding throughout the week will shape who you become. It happens in all kinds of things. It's one of the reasons why when, when I, in, in coaching basketball, I always tell my kids if one of the ways you become a great basketball player is to watch great basketball players. Now, that's not the only thing that you can do, but it is incredibly important and helpful. We start to become shaped and transformed around what we behold. It is foolish to think that we're not influenced by that. I'm fully convinced that YouTube is one of the greatest evils in the world. The reason I'm convinced of that is because nothing can grab my time and waste it more than a YouTube spiral. Okay, I'm just confessing that right now. I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek and saying it's evil, although it can be, but it, this is how it sucks my time. I, I really enjoy things like photography. I love photography. And if I get stuck on, if I watch a YouTube video like on a camera review because I'm like, oh, I want to buy, buy this camera or this flash or, or something like that, and I'll, I'll watch it, and it, it just kind of pulls on me. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, YouTube's so helpful, it tells you all these other things that you could watch also, right? 
Super helpful. Oh, thanks, YouTube. I didn't know I wanted to waste another eight minutes of my life, but I do, because I want to know what this guy says about this microphone. Do you need a microphone? No, but I'm really curious what he says about it. And so then I watch that, and then another one, and then another one. Do you know what starts to happen? All of a sudden, I start really loving photography all the more. Like, I just can't imagine doing anything but getting out there and taking pictures. All of a sudden, I I see all these things to take pictures of. And now, all of a sudden, I didn't just need a a new camera or a new flash. Like, now I need the whole setup. And now I actually need this other thing. And and if I'm not careful, I can find myself going down this trail. Have Have you been there? You surround yourself with something, and all of a sudden, you can't get that out of your mind, and you start becoming that thing. And we see it happen in in silly things like that. But we're seeing it in our country all the more with more serious things. You start beholding a particular news station and you become like it. We need to turn our attention to Christ and behold Christ and be formed into the image of Christ. You become what you behold and that's why like, those rules and everything that we try to create don't help us become holy. It's, it's almost confusing in its simplicity. We want to think, well, no, the way you become like Christ is you just study about him. Well, studying about him is important. No, 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 the way you become like Christ is to do these things. Well, obedience is important. But the way all of it makes sense is when we are beholding Christ. There's absolutely no substitute for that. It's why some of the most brilliant minds that I've known in my life who know the Bible really well don't love Jesus. Because you can study it and study it and study it. And if you are not beholding its author, then you will not love it and you will not be conformed into its image. Beholding Christ is the beginning of all these things. We don't need a bunch of laws to explain how to go about worship because we see Christ worship. In him we see he's the exact imprint of the nature of God. We don't need a bunch of laws to explain to us what justice means or what holiness means or how to respond in different situations because it's all manifested in Jesus. So if we fix our eyes on the king, so many of these things will be dealt with. We let him define what we mean by words like truth and what we mean by words like love. He gets to define that. We don't. So much more I could say on that. But right now, the American church is desperately in need of displaying the character of Christ. The church, or the world around us needs to see what God is like. And they will not see, they will not know what God is like because of a political stand that we take. It will not tell them who God is. It will not tell them what he is like. We must not settle for just saying facts and saying, well, that's the truth without the love that comes from Christ, without the compassion that comes with Christ. 
without the character of Christ. I was a part of a the missional movement, what's in, in church planting circles was called the missional movement, where we talked about how it's so important that we don't just gather people in, but we send them out. That if we want to reach the, the world, that we have to send people. We can't just build bigger buildings and say, come to us. We have to go to them. And if that sounds familiar, that's because it's still what I believe. It's still what we preach and we proclaim. Like we want to build you up and equip you and send you out. We don't want you spending all of your time here. We want you going out there. We want to equip you there. And we've seen incredible stories of, of, of those things happening. And it's been so exciting. But one of the things, one of the pitfalls that we have to be careful of is what one of my mentors in this movement said. He was arguably one of the best at doing this. Had completely reoriented churches to just saying, go, send people, send people, send people. And they sent people all over. And he said, I, I asked him one time, I said, so what do you think is the biggest challenge right now? This was kind of at the height of his popularity and the height of, of people believing and buying into the things he was saying and people being excited about mobilizing and starting missional communities and sending people out. And he said to me, he said, we've done a great job of sending people out. The problem, and he said, we've done a great job of sending people out in the name of Christ. The problem is they don't look anything like Jesus. And I remember that just striking me to the core and saying, what good does it do? What good does it do to mobilize people and send people into the schools? We have all these people right now volunteering at Peshtigo schools and doing incredible things there. What good does that do if they don't look like Christ? What good does it do if they walk in there and they are displaying a character that is contrary to Christ? We've done all this work with, we have all these CASA volunteers and working with, with people in, in our community and trying to figure out what does this look like to serve kids that are in this situation. What good does that do if we don't look like Christ? Setting our mind on the things above, first and foremost, means setting our eyes on the King who reigns. And conforming into that image, becoming what we behold. Hebrews 12 says it this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, how is this for setting your mind on things above? Aware of this great cloud of witnesses? When was the last time you considered, were more concerned about what the cloud of witnesses in heaven think about your actions more than people around you? When was the last time you really considered pursuing things and saying, I'm, I'm setting my face on Christ and the race set before me? Saying, look to Jesus. And he talks about this race before him. 
So if you're going to fix your eyes on Christ, then one of the things you're going to see when you see him and you're becoming into the image of Christ and the character of Christ formed in that, you're going to see the things that Christ cares about. You're going to see the race that's set before you. You're going to see the path that he has laid out before you. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus, then you will see the mission that he has given you. In Mark 1.38, Jesus says to them, Let us go to, on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He's done healings and miracles, and he's saying, Look, the reason I'm here is to go from town to town to declare the coming of the kingdom. And that's what he's called us to do. The Great Commission that we are all probably familiar with, Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the mission. The mission is to declare the king and to display and demonstrate what that kingdom under his rule looks like. It's not to build an earthly kingdom here and then try to make it look like God's kingdom. It's incredibly important that we understand the difference. We are sent as agents and ambassadors of another kingdom. We are sent to declare this coming king and how people can be reconciled to this king and then to live out what this kingdom looks like. Because that reflects on the king. We can tell them that this king is good, but unless we live that out and show people, well, this is what we mean when we say good. This is what we mean when we say this king is compassionate. See, they're connected. People want to separate those. People want to say, well, it's, the mission is just evangelism. Or the mission is just discipleship. So we have to tell people about Jesus, get them saved, and then move on. Because that's the mission. Jesus says what the mission is. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You know, like things like loving the poor. And becoming a servant of all. We are citizens of a kingdom sent to tell people of the king and his coming kingdom. And other people will say, well, that's right. So then don't worry about um, Jesus and about repentance and about salvation. Like, don't worry about that. Like, first, like, let's just deal with all of these issues in our society that we see. Let's make sure that we're taking care of the homeless and the poor and, and, and all these different things. And let's deal with that. And, and then people will just kind of magically figure out that Jesus, that it's all because of Jesus. They won't. Because what we have to do, how can you tell people about a kingdom when you don't tell them about the king? It doesn't make any sense. The kingdom is the kingdom because of the king. Like we're getting that, right? Like it's not like Jesus reigns in this kingdom and then separately there's this awesome kingdom and Jesus just paired up with it. The kingdom is what it is because the king is who he, who he is. You can't separate them. 
And so if we are going to say, I'm setting my mind on things above, on the kingdom, it means that I'm setting my eyes on the king. It means I'm telling people about this king who reconciles those who have rebelled against him. And he does it through his own death on the cross. But he has risen. And that if you, your life is hidden in him, then you will rise with him. You will find life in him. And your life will become oriented around this kingdom. So it's both. And I refuse to budge on those two things. So we will proclaim that there is no other way but Jesus. We will proclaim that there is no other name under heaven which men must be saved. It's none. It's just Christ. And we will also demonstrate what the kingdom looks like. And that means things like this. In the kingdom, there aren't any orphans. That's why it's important here that we deal with this. That's why we don't look just to social services or anything, but we say, what are, what are we doing? In the kingdom, there are no orphans. In the kingdom, there is no racial injustice. So that's why it's important here. In the kingdom, no babies are killed. That's why it's important here. In the kingdom, there are no sojourners or wanderers or immigrants or strangers because everyone there is home. And so we should seek to welcome the stranger here. In the kingdom, all of creation is enjoyed and meant created by God and for God to glorify him and for us to enjoy. And so that's important here. But we need to remember how this kingdom comes about. Because you can have all the right things. You can, you can have all the list of issues that you believe in, that you say, yeah, because of the kingdom, I, I believe so passionately about this. You can have all of that and still be confused about how this all comes about. And Jesus is very clear about this. Matthew 13, 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I wish I had more time to unpack all that that means, but it's simply summarized like this. The way of the kingdom right now is small becomes big. The small things matter more than what we think on earth are the big things. Period. I have to tell you, you know, our culture loves big. We like big statements, big movements. We want big actions from important people. That is not the way of the kingdom at all. This is where I could go on a 20-minute rant on the history of who God has used and how it is never the people who look like the people you would think he would use. That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom doesn't take the most important people in the most important positions and spread that way. If you think so, then look at church history. It has never been good for the church when the church has earthly power. Ever. 
the most horrifying things that have taken place in the history of the church have taken place when the church had earthly power. Period. And so we must be careful that we don't go about the things of the kingdom in a way that is not of this kingdom. Going about the orders and the desires of the king in a way that does not honor the king. That is why I can say that it is far less important who the president is than who you are to your neighbor. It is far less important what our laws say about marriage than about who you are to your spouse. It is far less important what your Facebook wall says than what you say to your coworker. Small things become big things. Big things never become small things unless they're blown up. That may have been more profound than I meant it to be. We'll let that simmer. Maybe, maybe later I'll feel like I shouldn't have said that. But small things grow into big things. Big things don't go into small things. The idea that, well, if we just set this big thing, then that'll take care of all the small things. It won't. It never has. It never will. And we know it won't because that's what Jesus says. That's how he says it works. Small things grow to big things. I hesitated on whether to give this example. But I'm going to because it's 8 a.m. and you're a small sample size. It's just you and some people who rolled out of bed in their jammies and thought, well, we might as well get this over with. They're probably half paying attention anyway. I want to make it really clear. I am adamantly pro-life. Adamantly. It matters to me that hundreds of thousands of babies who are created in the image of God are killed every year in our country. It grieves me. But here's what I know. That since 1980, that rate has been on the decline. And it has mattered not at all who the president is. Not at all. I dug into it and thought, surely there's something. There is no statistical significance at all. Meanwhile, there's a crew of people who said, I wonder what would happen if we went to these places and rather than picketing, we just offered women who are waiting for an appointment, offered them a free ultrasound. And so they decked out a bus, made it really nice inside, really comfortable and sweet, and offered free ultrasounds. And woman after woman would get on the bus and just do an ultrasound, and they didn't barrage them with anything. They just cared for them, listened to them, loved them, 
and showed them their baby. Now, years later, that little movement, four out of five women who get on that bus keep their baby. Four out of five. That's significant. Small things become big things. I'm not saying don't let that come into play in how you vote. What I'm saying is if the most pro-life thing you do is check a box for a president, then you're not pro-life. If you want that to be a part of it, let it be a part of it, but don't let it stop there. The way of the kingdom matters. We must be people of the kingdom who look like the king, who care about the things the king cares about. And then it should extend there for us. It should matter to us that 9,000 unaccompanied children are turned away from our country illegally, not into the hands of their parents, but to strangers. And do you know what happens to children who are turned over into the hands of strangers at the border? Horrible things. It should matter. If we are about a king and a kingdom, then we have to stop letting political parties determine our talking points. If we're going to be Christ followers, then we will upset everybody. Just when they think you're on their side, you're going to throw them for a loop. Because we are united. And in this church family, we will have people who will vote different ways. And all I ask is that you vote by faith, not by fear, and that you remember who your brothers and sisters are. And remember what our demeanor is to be towards those who are not yet our brothers and sisters. This is what happens when you have a passage that talks so specifically about the kingdom and it's the last message I get to preach before the election. It's not my fault. He ordained this. We did not plan this. But then you follow that money. So what happens when you are so enamored with the king that you take on his character and his demeanor and his heart and you care about the things he cares about, and you see his mission, you see the race before you, and you say, I'm, I'm all in on this mission. I want to declare the king and the kingdom to a lost and hurting world. I'm all in. Well, what happens? Well, I reorient myself around that entire goal. Everything. All my resources. They all, all of a sudden, are focused on that. Like, there's a difference between saying, yes, I believe in that mission, and then really believing it and saying, oh, I'm all in. What do you give up for it? Like there's a difference between a dream and a mission, right? We know that. It's very rare that you find any kid that's, you know, six, seven years old. Like just out of show of hands, how many of you, when you were a kid, um, wanted to be a professional athlete of some kind? Seriously? Nobody? Come on. It's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed. I'm talking like four or five years old, six years old. Okay, awesome. Yeah. How many of you want to be an astronaut? Anybody? Okay, some people. Now, how many professional athletes do we have in here? Any astronauts? 
Oh, stop with the professional athlete. CrossFit does not count. What, what's the deal with that? Oh, they're dreams. They're dreams. They come and they go. You want to do something, then you're like, oh, you know what? Turns out I'm not athletic and I can't do that. Turns out I'm scared of heights. Being an astronaut's not a great idea. There's a difference between that and a purpose. Where you say, that's what I exist for. That's who I am. This is what defines me. That's what a mission is. And there's a difference when you have a mission and say, this is what we're going to do. Then you reorient everything around that and say, let's go. That's the kind of thing you give every spare second to, every spare dollar to. That's the kind of thing you you pick up overtime for. That's where you determine whether it's worth late nights or not, or early mornings, or time away from other things that you enjoy. That's purpose. That's mission. Right now, one of our dear saints, Leon Fisher, is in his final days. And one of the things about Leon and Laverne is that over the years, they took in 18 foster children. 18. That's pro-life, by the way. Why would you do that? Why would you interrupt your life like that over and over again? Oh, they must have been not busy at all. If you know them at all, you know that wasn't the case. You know, because running a dairy farm is super easy. Why would, why would he, as a, a farmer who also had a trucking company, take what little precious time he had to hand out New Testaments and share the gospel with people? He was known to do. That's what happens when your life is reoriented around the gospel. Around the mission of Jesus Christ. Because it's a treasure hidden in a field. And with joy, you give up everything you have for it. It's worth giving up everything for. That's what it means to seek the things above. And there's so many effects to this. Peace of knowing that Christ continually sits on the throne. Your mind saturated with those thoughts. Confidence knowing that Christ reigns out there and in here. So I'm not hopeless and fighting against the sin that seems to just be gripping me over and over again because I'm confident. I know that Christ rules and that he will complete this work. Stability, knowing that his reign is forever, so I don't have to panic or be afraid. Perspective, knowing that this is not my home and that these, any painful day here is just a light momentary affliction compared to the glory of Christ. And knowing that one day Christ will appear and we will also appear with him in glory. Think what that would do to, to making decisions. So many people in their face with decisions, they say like, well, I wonder what God would want for me to do. If you are constantly in his presence and setting your mind on Christ and the things above, that is so much easier when big decisions come into play because you're already there. Because Christ's reign is the most real thing in your life. And I want to finish with answering one big objection that I get whenever I talk about things like this. People say like, look, that's all great. But I live here. I have a very real life. I have very real responsibilities. There are very real things happening. 
I can't live with my head in the clouds. Do you think God is unattached to the world he created? Look, Christ's reign is the most real thing that we have on earth. It is the most real thing there is. It's the most assured thing. Setting your mind on things above is the most real way to live today. Well, let me ask you, what do you imagine would suffer from setting your mind on things above? What would suffer? Your parenting? If your mind is seeking heavenly treasures as you love and discipline and encourage and shepherd your children, I, I bind that lie a lot. Like, okay, it's great to display the gospel for my kids, but they need to behave here. They got to get their homework done. What suffers when I reorient myself and say, my desire for my kids is the kingdom, that they would know the king and be citizens of the kingdom? What suffers? Your job? Your marriage? Listen, anything that loses its value by being mindful of Christ is not worthy of keeping. Anything that you can come up with, you can say, man, if I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus during this, so I, like, I'm just going to set it aside because, you know, I don't, I, I just think, I, I just, I got to have some me time, or I got whatever, I don't want to think about Christ then it's not worthy of keeping. And if you do that, you'll feel like you're not at home here. And this is not our home. And so I want to encourage you to set your eyes above, on the things above. Commit yourself to the king to being in, made in the image of the king. Care about the mission that he has given you and throw yourself wholeheartedly into it. Here's, what I, here's my final instruction for you going to the polls because I won't get to say this again. If you go to the polls and vote in humility with open hands, seeking unity first in our church and in our community, putting first the needs of others above your own, seeking to serve others, caring about the things that Christ cares about, loving those who reach a different conclusion than you, then whoever you vote for, you will honor Christ. Whatever happens, know who your brothers and sisters are and know what your posture is to be toward those who are not yet your brothers and sisters. Know who your king is and what his demeanor is. Know what the mission is and how it plays out and orient your life around it. to the glory of God and the hope of the world. Let's pray. Father, we, we desperately need our minds and our hearts reoriented around the King. God, even as I have 
struggled in, in preparing this message. And God, you know my heart. You know that I have, have battled fear and frustration and all kinds of things that are not of you and that are not of the kingdom. So God, I pray that you would take the words that are from you and burn them into our hearts and our minds and take anything that is of human will or design and just toss it. God, whatever we do as we walk out of here, if we belong to you, I pray that we would orient our lives around you. That we would care about the things you care about, that we would love you and the people that you love, that we would serve those who you served. And that we would worship you. And that we would enjoy you. And that we would experience the life abundant that you have offered us. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.